Tegan, are these happy days or sad days for you? I say they're happy days. You know, remember when we were talking about the days getting longer? Yes. Every single day is getting longer. It's actually sunny while we're recording. I, I'm, I'm into this. I was being more specific in my ask. Okay. Well, wh- what are you referring to, Chris? Pitchers and catchers are reporting to spring training. Well, when your favorite team has neither pitchers and catchers, what do they do? I'm not sure. That's why that's why I'm asking you happy days or sad days for you as a Boston Red Sox. Oh, yeah, the Boston Red Sox literally have done nothing over the offseason to improve upon their last place finish. So I can't say it's happy days, but I will enjoy watching baseball again whenever it starts. Well, you know what you have going for you? What's that? The days are getting longer. There's more sunshine, like you said at the top. <laughs> exactly. I always I always have the calendar on my side. Okay. Always on your side. And we always have the mailbag on our side. If you want to send questions, contact Tegan via Political Wire. Email me simply by replying to any day's newsletter. Now, let's get on with business. Tegan, topic number one is the Republican impeachment case. The headline that you posted on Political Wire, Biden impeachment inquiry falls apart. House Republicans reached a critical point this week in their bid to impeach Joe Biden, a closed door interview with the president's younger brother, James. But the coveted testimony was dramatically overshadowed by another development, the Justice Department indicting one of the impeachment inquiry's lead informants for lying to the FBI about the Biden family with dirt from Russian intelligence, Time reports. Said Representative Don Bacon, a uh, Republican from Nebraska, quote, my sense is it's not going to happen. We should determine the next president through the election, added Representative Dan Goldman from New York. There's no question this is dead to the extent that they continue to push forward with it. They're now doing it with a knowing asset of Russian intelligence. It is one thing to lead an investigation where you fail to find evidence to support unfounded conclusions. It's altogether something else when you are acting as an agent of Vladimir Putin. So my question for you is, do you think it matters if the impeachment effort technically goes away? Or do you think, as I do, that one part might die, but they'll just find several other ways to bring it back to life? A weird version of that new game, Impeachment Whack-A-Mole. Have you trademarked that, Chris? I like that. I like that title. You know, it's the latest in, in a series of really embarrassing setbacks for Republicans. If you go back to July, midsummer, one of their whistleblowers was arrested for acting as a Chinese agent. You remember when in late summer, Hunter Biden's associate, Devin Archer, who was supposedly one of the key witnesses, he testified that Joe Biden had absolutely no involvement in his son's business. And they had a public hearing in September where conservative lawyer Jonathan Turley from GW Law School in Washington said there wasn't enough evidence to impeach Biden. And now we have an FBI informant who I guess was informed by Russian intelligence. So turns out turns it turns out turns out his his intelligence was uh you know maybe tainted somewhat. The most interesting thing about this, and it is like whack-a-mole, it was a Fox News anchor Jessica Tarloff was mocking Republicans for their pursuit of these charges, saying that she was surprised that they have this high a threshold for humiliation (laughs) because it's just been a train wreck from the very beginning. Do they have a high threshold for humiliation or do they have no choice? We've discussed this previously. I think it's your argument that given what is going on with Trump, I mean, you're not the only one making the argument. A lot of people feel, but you, you made it in this podcast, that given what Trump is going through, given 91 indictments, given his continually having to pay all sorts of money, being found liable, 
inevitable, as we know, that they have to try to create a sense of a parallel narrative that don't look at Trump's alleged crimes because you've got the Biden crime family on the other side. So is it a high threshold for humiliation or is it really that they just have no option? And as you just pointed out, you just went through kind of a litany of the whack-a-mole game to date. And is there any reason to think that just because the lead witness, I guess if that's what he was, happens to be a Russian agent and is perhaps now discredited based on that, does that even matter? Because as soon as tomorrow, that'll be yesterday's news. Well, maybe. But when Fox News anchors are already talking about what a train wreck this is, it's. I think it's pretty interesting. And what Republicans have is no strategy whatsoever. And we've talked about this in the past. On the one hand, Joe Biden is suffering from dementia and can barely function during the day. And on the other hand, he's the head of the Biden crime family. And so their messaging is completely disjointed. But what I think Republicans have forgotten here is the electoral pain that they could suffer by overreaching. And if you go back to the 1990s, we saw Republicans starting to learn some of those lessons. You know, they attempted to impeach and they succeeded in impeaching Bill Clinton, though he was acquitted at his Senate trial. They also regularly shut down the government. And, you know, you fast forward 25 years, Republicans seem to have learned the lesson on the government shutdowns, though we can get to that in a bit because they don't want to shut down the government because they know that every single time the government shuts down, the Republican Party takes the blame for it. But on impeachment and on impeaching a president without having any evidence, I think Republicans are going to pay a bad price. They're going to pay a bad price among those voters who are paying attention to their overreach and who realize that th- this is not a party that is trying to help solve the nation's problems. You know, Particularly when we look at what they've done since taking the majority last January, it's been pretty pathetic. They've passed no legislation, essentially. Well, I am with you 100% on the overreach. And probably evidence 1A on that is the Dobbs decision and everything that's been going on with abortion. Most recently, the Alabama Supreme Court ruling that embryos are human life and putting IVF now on hold at University of Alabama, Birmingham, and in question and in fear and in shock in so many other places. So I'm with you on the overreach. Infrequently, are there opportunities for them to overreach on a topic that they don't take? My areas of pushback, one, the Fox anchors. Okay, so you noted the one, Jessica Tarloff. Last night, Hannity had Jim Jordan, had other Republican House leaders on, and there was no talk of this having been a problem or of overreach or humiliation. There was all a discussion on all of the additional ways that this remains a big and important story. I think that it's not so much a question of how much can they take, but can they actually stop? And I'm not convinced that they can stop. Well, this is this is where the programming of the conservative television networks and the what is good for the Republican Party, this is where they diverge. Yeah, of course, Hannity wants to talk about this. That's what his viewers want to watch. But so but did Jim I'm- Jordan. So did the other. I mean, there were like two or three Republican House leaders on the show. So yes, I, I'm with you. They're talking about, they're talking to a Fox News audience. And that is not w- what I'm talking about overreach. You you can never overreach too far for Jim Jordan. <laughs> no, you can't. 
<laughs> we could take that in all sorts of directions, Chris. We're not going to. Go ahead, but we're not. But we're not going to. This it's is not a family podcast. Of, it's <laughs> not that kind of show, Tegan. Keep going. But what I'm talking about is that when Republicans overreach, that they are ceding the middle ground. They're committing political malpractice. And so those voters, those swing voters in these swing states who are weighing one party versus the other, one candidate versus the other, they're going to take a look at Republicans and say, you know, these guys are less interested in solving the problems of the country than they are at just scoring political points. And while that may work for Laura Ingraham and for Sean Hannity, it does not work for those voters. And so you bring up a good point when you bring up the abortion issue. That is what happens when you take these things to their logical extreme. And on every issue, you go from repealing Roe v. Wade at the Supreme Court. You then go to banning abortion in various states. You go to banning abortion without exceptions. And now we have a situation where a state has essentially banned in vitro fertilization, even though 87% of American voters, according to a poll from Kelly and Conway, of all people, 87% of Americans support IVF, and that includes evangelicals and pro-life voters. So that is what I'm talking about. It is so extreme, the Republican position on these positions, that they're losing the middle. And so I, I, I just think it's political malpractice when this upcoming election, control of the House of Representatives and the presidency will be determined by those swing voters in the middle. And I know I mentioned to you earlier in the week, I was really struck as part of the reporting and hard work. You know there is nothing that I will not do to support the Trial Balloon podcast, Tegan, including watching the Laura Ingram conversation town hall with Donald Trump earlier this week. Took one for the team, Chris. Thanks. I I took that for the team. And there there was a lot of interesting content well, stuff in there. And one of which was, and and we talked about this the other day, there is an area where it appeared that there is internal to the Republican Party recognition that there might be a problem. And that is around women and their vote, and maybe in particular suburban women. I don't know that part. But I mentioned to you, there was a, a woman who got up to ask a question And she said, Mr. President, something like, I I love all of your policies. I love your policies. I love everything you do except the revenge. I don't like that. Can you tell me now that you are not going to use a second term for a revenge tour? And Trump started speaking, and as you know, no surprise, he couldn't tell her that and didn't tell her that. Laura Ingram totally tried to bring him back. She recognized, and she gave him some stats about your messaging is having a problem with women. She said something like, "You know, go ahead, tell our questioner now. You're not going to use this time. You're not going to use a second term as a revenge tour. Go ahead, tell her. That is an area where, as you just said, I do think that they are feeling internally that there's a challenge there. I don't know if Laura Ingraham is internal to the Trump campaign or not. Uh, sometimes she seems like she is. You know, you can understand where the Trump campaign is coming from. They saw success in 2016, whipping up voters who would otherwise not get to the polls. They brought a whole new bunch of voters out. And yet they still did not win the popular vote, but they managed to eke out an electoral college victory. They keep trying that strategy. They tried it in 2018 and 2020. They tried it in 2022. And Republicans have had miserable 
miserable election cycles in each one of those. I just don't think it's going to work. And the more extreme you go, not only are you going to lose women, but you're going to lose people on the issue of impeachment and overreach. You're going to lose people on the issue of shutting down the government because guess what, Chris? It looks like a shutdown is going to happen early next month. And each one of these situations is something that the Republicans could have dialed back their rhetoric. They could have appealed to swing voters, but their instincts are no longer there. They don't have those instincts to kind of appeal to the middle anymore. I don't know if it's instincts. I don't know if it's desire. I don't know if it's the dog catching the car. I don't know if it's the overreach that they advance policies that get brought to their logical conclusions. And all of a sudden, embryos are human beings and IVF is off the table in Alabama and who knows where next. Just to close out this impeachment question that started this segment for us, in the last week-ish, let's say, we had Trump's reaction to Navalny's death. We had Republicans continuing to shoot down funding to Ukraine. We had the revelation that the source in the impeachment case is a Russian agent. And we had the Tucker Carlson fiasco visit to Moscow and interview with Putin that even Putin subsequently made fun of. I'm not sure whose takedown was harsher, Putin's or John Stewart's, but they were both <laughs> pretty devastating takedowns of Tucker. But what's going on there? That's four things all in one week. Is there a through line? There is a through line. Is there actually a connection to this idea of Republican overreach? Because even within the US Congress, the majority majority of members of the House and of the Senate support sending aid to Ukraine. Donald Trump does not. He's managed to use that position to get members of the House, particularly Speaker Mike Johnson, to back away from bringing that bill to the floor, making up some idea that it doesn't have border security measures, even though those are the very measures that they wouldn't even discuss anymore, at, again, at Donald Trump's direction. So, Again, it's just more of this overreach. This is a bill that most Americans and most of their lawmakers want to pass. And the Trump campaign, Donald Trump himself, for whatever reason, and we can speculate on that, does not want it to pass. And so the Republicans are doing the bidding of a very small minority group of uh, people here. And I'm not saying that the election will be decided on Ukraine aid. But anyone who's paying attention to world affairs knows that this is a pretty important issue. And the United States has an important role to play in Europe. And right now, the United States is paralyzed because of the Republican Party. And without aid, major towns are falling in Ukraine. And who knows what the next steps might be in terms of potential Russia advancement. We will continue to watch that space. But I wanted to move on and ask you, you know what two phrases one rarely hears together? What are those, Chris? Mike Johnson and Bright Spot. And yet <laughs> there it is on Political Wire for everyone to see, an article titled One Bright Spot for Mike Johnson. Despite having little experience raising money, Speaker Mike Johnson brought in $10.6 million in the last three months of 2023, not quite as much as former Speaker Kevin McCarthy, but, quote, enough to reassure many Republicans that he can do the job, the Washington Post reports. Tegan, you told me earlier today in our pregame conversation that you think Mike Johnson might not be Speaker in three weeks. Why? 
Well, the simple reason is on the fact that the budget needs to be funded. The federal government needs to be funded by early next month because there are two deadlines, one in the first week of March, one in the second week of March. And right now, the House Freedom Caucus has said that they are not going to be on board with passing a short-term funding bill to get us past these dates. It is something that Mike Johnson has done in the past, although he now says that he won't. But he doesn't have the votes to do what the Freedom Caucus wants to do. And the government will shut down otherwise unless they pass a measure. And so his choice is this. His choice is to work with Democrats to pass another funding measure to avoid a shutdown, which, as I mentioned earlier, many Republicans are starting to realize shutdowns don't really work for them politically. Or he can work with the Freedom Caucus and let the government shut down and take the consequences. So it's not a really good choice for him. Whatever way that it goes, I just don't think that he's going to end up staying in the job when he's still got this rule in the House where it takes only one lawmaker to call a motion to vacate the chair. And we could end up in a situation in the next few weeks where you know we're having vote after vote trying to find Mike Johnson's replacement because the Republican caucus can't decide on one. Does the fact that he's actually raising money help him in any standoff with the Freedom Caucus or that don't matter? Just look at the money that Kevin McCarthy was able to raise and look at how that helped him with the Freedom Caucus. Yeah, bingo. I think you just said it, Chris. I, I don't think it helps them. And I, and I don't think the Freedom Caucus cares because they come from very conservative districts. Their seats are not at risk. Now, if you're Don Bacon in Nebraska and you're from a swing district, uh, you're looking at this and you're like, I cannot believe we're doing this again. And the question I keep coming back to with Mike Johnson, is he just bad at and unprepared for the job or is the job simply impossible given the current makeup of the Republican House majority? That's a great question. I actually think it's a combination of both. Whether he's bad at the job or unprepared is kind of key. He certainly doesn't have the experience in the leadership. He hasn't been around. He doesn't really know the job of speaker. Most of the people who are advising Kevin McCarthy have gone on to other positions or are not in Mike Johnson's inner circle. So I think that's definitely true. I also think it's true, and this was kind of highlighted at the uh, Republican retreat, I believe it was in Miami, where Mike Johnson gave a speech which members were telling reporters off the record that it was as if they were sitting in church, that he was giving the most- Yeah, yeah, he was connecting it back to God. He was connecting it all to God and that they felt like they were sitting in church. Many of them were telling reporters afterwards that it was completely inappropriate. It was boring as well. I think it left a lot of people wondering, who is this guy and why is he here? Why is he in this job? But you know, the one thing keeping him in the job is that Republicans have seen twice in the last 14 months that it's actually not that easy for them to pick a speaker. So he's in the job because there is no clear alternative at this point. They're, they're not sure who they would pick. And we all know that if you're going to sin, boring is a much worse sin than inappropriate. That don't is the lesson in, that Donald Trump lives by. Don't go in that direction. Tegan, you may have noticed that Nikki Haley is really attacking Donald Trump, right, left, and center, every day, all day, attacking Donald Trump. Have you noticed that? It's kind of amazing, right? Okay. She, she clearly isn't going to be his running mate, I think that's for sure. Right. She hinted at that the other day. And Trump responded that uh, he had hinted at that way before she hinted at that. But okay, she's going after him. And yet, I read on Political Wire that Nikki Haley says Biden is, quote, more dangerous than Trump. 
Nikki Haley told NPR that President Biden represents a bigger threat to the country if reelected than Donald Trump. While critical of both men, who she called too old to be president, she said, quote, Biden is more dangerous, end quote, due to his management of immigration and the economy. Haley also hinted that if Biden and Trump were to face rematch, she would back Trump. My question to you, who is Nikki Haley and what is her plan? (laughs) Nikki Haley is trying desperately to be the last person standing in the Republican presidential race. I think she believes, and she has alluded to this fact, that Donald Trump's legal problems are only going to get worse as we move towards the convention in the summertime, that he's got his first criminal trial in New York City starting next month, and that she hopes to still be standing because she thinks that if for some reason Donald Trump is pushed out or can no longer run for president, that she will be the one to inherit the nomination because she is the last person standing. But at the same time, she's trying to thread this needle, which Mike Johnson has found impossible to do, and now Nikki Haley is finding impossible to do. She wants to be opposed to Joe Biden, opposed to Donald Trump, but she's trying to appeal to Trump's voters in some way by suggesting she would still back him. But you know, at the end of the day, Nikki Haley has such a small percentage of the vote overall. The one thing I could say pretty sure, unless something happens to Donald Trump, and I think it would have to be a health event or something like that, because I don't think a legal event is going to knock him off the Republican podium. Nikki Haley is not going to be president of the United States. I, I just, I just don't see it. But she is. You know, Democrats are enjoying it. She is hitting Donald Trump harder and harder as the weeks go on. How brutal, psychologically perhaps, is Saturday potentially going to be for her, the South Carolina primary? If she does lose right now, I think the last poll I saw, she's down like 65 to 35, something like that. That can't feel good. Oh, no, it's got to feel terrible for her. But it's also why she's preempted this in a way. You know, Earlier this week, she spoke about how she's staying in the race, about why she's staying in the race. She's pledged to stay in the race at least through Super Tuesday, but she's also indicated that she will go all the way to the convention. And that's really a question of money, about whether she'll still have the money to fund her. And interestingly enough, there's probably enough people in the Republican Party who think nominating Donald Trump is political suicide that they may just keep funding her because they may buy into her strategy that last person standing is a decent strategy. You know, that may be her only hope. It may be a very low percentage shot, but it's the only shot she's got. And so perhaps there are people who are still willing to fund her for that. But it is really interesting to watch her because because it's impossible to imagine Donald Trump picking her for any position in his administration. You know, you see Senator Tim Scott, you know, completely fold and fall in line behind Donald Trump. I mean, it's actually kind of sickening to watch him, you know, in terms of how he talks about Trump. So it's actually interesting to hear Nikki Haley talk, but it's hard to see how she's going to become president unless something really bad happens to Trump. She's got the Bee Gees strategy. <laughs> she's staying alive. She's just trying Stayin to- Staying alive, Chris. I, just, I was trying to think of where you were going there. I know you were a big music fan in the 1970s, so- <laughs> Yeah, big, big music fan of the 70s. The other thing that's coming to mind is if the Republican House is playing impeachment whack-a-mole, given your description that Nikki Haley is just trying to be the last person standing, trying not to get knocked out, you know what her game is? What's that? Dodgeball. (laughs) Well done, Chris. Thank you. Talk to you next week, Tegan. Talk later, Chris. Bye. 